This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Kevin Sheehan and is part six of our summer study on Proverbs. So this summer at Church of the Resurrection, we've been going through a sermon series on the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a collection of wise sayings that teaches us how we can live a good life according to the wisdom of God. It's kind of a owner's manual for our life. And we've been following some important themes over the course of the summer. We've talked about wisdom. We've talked about words, friendship, the danger of the fool. And today it is my dubious honor of helping us unpack the theme of the sluggard. the lazy bones, the do-nothing. If Proverbs were translated in the 21st century, we would probably call this character the slacker. You know, when I told people in the weeks leading up to today that I would be preaching on the theme of the sluggard, I got a very common response. Almost everybody reacted this way. (laughs) Wait, did you choose that topic? It was kind of odd that we would talk about the sluggard, and I'd have to explain, no, it's part of a, a sermon series on Proverbs. Matt Woodley assigned it to me. And then the follow-up question would be, I think I got this three or four times, why, are you some kind of expert on the topic? I don't even know what you say to that, especially if it's your own mother who is asking. (laughs) My only comfort was that Matt Woodley had asked Will Chester to preach on the fool, which is a comfort because Will Chester's no fool, so maybe I'm no sluggard. But I understand, you know, there, there's a reason why nobody said to me, hey, you know what? We need more sermons on the sluggard. Yeah, I need to hear a good sluggard sermon. I, I get why, why that's not the response that I got, because when I read the book of Proverbs, sometimes I have a hard time connecting to the sluggard, because this character seems so over the top. Like when I read it, I, I, I just think, who is that lazy? And this is, this is the mental image of a sluggard that I, that I get in my mind's eye. I think of a man, I realize ladies can be sluggards, but this is my imagination, so bear with me. I think of a man who vaguely resembles Jabba the Hutt from Star Wars, this slug-like character, wearing a tank top and sweatpants, sitting on a couch that has sort of molded itself around his backside because he's been there so long. He's watching television, mouth a little bit open, a little drool dripping down here. He's got one hand halfway into this giant tub of cheese balls. And he's sitting there all day. This is my mental image of the sluggard. And now it can be yours. You're welcome. And if that is your mental image, if that's what you're thinking when you read Proverbs, and if, you're, if you read Proverbs and you say, oh, Lord, thank you that this doesn't apply to me, you might be missing the point. I actually think this is a serious problem. And Proverbs is doing something very intentional. Proverbs shows us the final destination of a trajectory that we might be on. It shows us the end of a lifetime of decisions. And we might not be to stage cheese balls sloth yet, but we might be on that journey And Proverbs is saying, hold up, wait, turn around before it gets too bad, because the further you go in this direction, the harder it is. 
This is what we see in Proverbs 24, the first section in your reading on Proverbs. In verses 30 to 34, we have a, an observer. Maybe it's Solomon. It's in Solomon's section of Proverbs, who's walking by the field of the sluggard. And he sees this place in complete disarray. Where there should be grapes on the vines, there are thorns because the vineyard hasn't been taken care of. The wall is crumbling down. There are brambles and thorns everywhere. It, it looks as bad as if bandits had, as worse than if bandits had come through and robbed the place. And he has an epiphany. He realizes something. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction, he says. What does he realize? He realizes that the ruin of the sluggard does not happen overnight. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. It's not as though we go to sleep one night, a happy, productive member of society, and then suddenly wake up on a couch with a hand in a ball of cheese balls, a jar of cheese balls, excuse me. It doesn't work that way. Sloth is this slow, progressive, degenerative disorder. It happens little by little so that we may not even notice it. And we may think that we're not a sluggard, but it could be that we are on that journey, that there are sluggish tendencies in our life that will eat away at us if we don't stop it. And so we need to do a little diagnosis together a little collective WebMD. Figure out if there are these sluggish tendencies in our life, if we are victims and perpetrators of sloth. We're going to look at the symptoms of the sluggard together. Then we're going to talk about the sickness of the sluggard. And finally, we're going to talk about the salvation of the sluggard. Not the eternal salvation, but the hope that the sluggard has. So let's begin with the symptoms of the sluggard. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. I'm going to go through a list. We'll do it Jeff Foxworthy style. You might be a sluggard if. And just as you hear these examples derived from Proverbs, just keep a mental checklist. Does this apply to me? Is this, is this a struggle that I have? Because it might be. It might not be exactly what you're dealing with, but you may find that you relate to Proverbs better than you realize. You might be a sluggard if you always have a ready excuse for why your work can't get done. Proverbs 26, 13 says, the sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. It seems like this ridiculous excuse, right? Like who would say that? Who would say I can't get my work done because there might be a lion out there? Well, remember, this is stage cheese balls sloth, okay? We might be over here where our excuses seem more reasonable. I don't know what it is for you, but is there always something that's getting in the way of your work getting done? Of the things that are important, is there something that's always pushing them to the side and you always seem to have to come up with these excuses? If your mild headache turns into a raging migraine the moment someone asks you to do something you don't want to do, you might be a sluggard. You might be a sluggard if you are overly attached to your bed. Proverbs 26, 14 says, As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard turn on his bed. You've got this image of somebody who you think maybe they're about to get up, lying in bed, turning over, and then, oh no, back to sleep. 
Now, before I go on here, I want to recognize that there are conditions, chronic fatigue, clinical depression, that you may struggle with, that leads you to, to feel drained. Maybe you're not sleeping well, and so, and so sleep becomes very important to you. I understand that. That is not what I am talking about here. I am talking about the person who prefers their bed because they don't want to work, because work is too hard, maybe to escape the responsibilities of life. If your favorite thing in the world to do is sleep, I'm sorry, you might be a sluggard. You might be a sluggard if you have a hard time finishing what you start. We have another over-the-top example in Proverbs 26:15. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Do you leave behind you a train of unfinished work, of resolutions that you've left undone? You've got five journals with three entries apiece that you did in five consecutive New Years because you just can't seem to follow through and finish the things that you start. If you've gone out and bought a guitar, and you've had it for two years and you've never really learned to play it because you haven't gotten around to it, you might be a sluggard. You might be a sluggard if you think you're gaming the system. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes, Proverbs says, than seven men who can answer sensibly. This is the person who's proud of being able to get by with the least possible amount of work. Do you know any of those people? I know a few. If you are proud that you got a C- minus without even having to study, you might be a sluggard. You might be a sluggard if you are busy doing things, so busy, frenetically busy, that don't matter all that much in the end. And these activities are pushing out the things that really matter. You go from entertainment to entertainment, from social event to social event, in and of themselves, none of them bad things, but they are pushing out the things that matter in life. If you have posted hundreds of pictures of meals that you've made on social media, but you haven't found time to post that job application in the last month, I hate to say it, unless you're a photographer or a chef or maybe a blogger mom, you might be a sluggard. You might be a sluggard if you put off until later what needs to be done today. Proverbs 24 says, The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. The sluggard thinks, eh, what's one day? I can put it off and put it off and put it off. And the next thing you know, it's not the time for plowing anymore. If you are a chronic procrastinator, you might be a sluggard. So what do we do about this? I suppose that we could sit down and, and talk about these symptoms, and I could give you some self-help tips. We could work on time management or something like that, but I don't think that's what we need to do here today. I don't just want to address the symptoms of the sluggard. I want to address the sickness of the sluggard. What is it inside of us that leads us to these things? See, sloth is not just a series of, 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 of things that we do. It is, it is something deeper than that. It is a distortion. 
that we buy into. Sin is, is never anything creative. It's always a distortion of something good and something true that God has created. And the sluggard is a distortion of the way God designed us to work and to rest. And I've seen as I'm reading the book of Proverbs three lies that we tend to buy into when we struggle with sloth. The first lie that contributes to the sickness is that we believe the lie that work is something unpleasant to be avoided. You're like, that's not a lie. <laughs> you don't know my job. <laughs> but, but, but let's talk about that for a second. We see this in the way we talk about work sometimes. How many of you have heard the expression, do something that you love and you'll never have to work a day in your life? The implication is that work is something that we want to avoid. We don't want to work. I don't want to do that. It's too much work. And at one level, this seems to make sense, right? I mean, wasn't work a product of the fall? Adam and Eve are chilling in the garden where God made them just lazily picking the fruit off the trees. And then, all, and, and then one day they have to eat that one fruit they're not supposed to have, and from then on, their life is work, work, work. Ah, hold on a second. That's not, that's not what happened. That's not how, how, how Genesis unfolds. In the book of Genesis, we see work as part of God's design from the very beginning. God works in the six days of creation, and he rests from his work on the Sabbath. And then he creates Adam and Eve. He places them in the garden, and he gives them a job. They get to continue in his creative activity, having dominion over the earth. He gives them a job. In Genesis 2.15, they have the role of working and keeping the garden. It's a gift from God that they get to participate in his world. Even the ant knows this. Even the ant knows that work is just a part of life. No one makes the ant work. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Work is part of God's design for the world. Yes, it is tainted by sin, and that has made it hard. That has made it something that we want to avoid, but it was not so in the beginning. That was not how God designed work to be. It's a distortion. There's a second distortion that we buy into. When we wrestle with sloth, we buy into the distortion that it's possible to enjoy rest without work. What do I mean by that? Kevin, isn't rest a good thing? Didn't God institute rest? It says that God rested from his work of creation on the seventh day. He instituted a Sabbath for his people. That's good, right? I mean, he was so serious about it, it was mandated. Jesus himself says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, we might be misunderstanding what is meant by rest. That's the challenge of the sluggard. When you look in, 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 your, in your bulletin in Proverbs 24, you see where it says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. That word rest there looks like the same word that we see in Genesis 2, when God rested. But it's not. It's actually a different word. In the original language, there are two words there. The word that we see in Proverbs is kind of the absence of rest, the opposite of rest. It, is a, it, it actually means the same thing as to lie down the word you'd use when you go to sleep, to be in your bed. 
what we see in Genesis is something that means to cease from doing something. You have to rest from something. God rests from his work of creation. The Sabbath is a, work, is a rest from the work that God called his people to. Work and rest go together in God's economy. And the lie that the sluggard buys into is that I can have this rest, this idol in and of itself that I desire so much and not worry about that work. But this is a false rest. This is not true rest. See, the rest of the sluggard has no purpose. It is not a rest from anything, and it is not a rest for anything. It's just passivity. It's motionless. See, even the ant knows that there is a time to work. Do you feel like you've bought into this idea that rest is motionless, that rest is motionlessness? Does that ring true to you? Let me ask you this. Have you ever gone a full day of doing nothing? How do you feel at the end of that day? Terrible. I was talking to Father Stephen during the break, and he said, I'd rather have, I feel more tired. He didn't say he does. I don't think he has a slothful bone in his body. But a person feels more tired after a full day of not doing anything than after a full day of work. We know we're not designed for this. Our very body tells us that. If you are exercising, let's just say you're lifting weights, you're running, and you go to sleep that night, your muscles that have been torn apart over the course of your labor get built up. They get strengthened right? That rest is doing something for you. It's making you stronger. It's making you more able to do what you need to do. But what happens if instead of working during the day, you do nothing? What happens to your body if for months and months you do nothing? It atrophies. This is what can happen to us. God has given us gifts of strength, intellect, emotional capacity, relational capacity, talents. He's given us these things And if we squander them, if we don't use them, if we sit on them, over time, we forget how. And in the time that we need them, they will fail us. See, rest is not the opposite of work. It is not endless passivity. It's the fulfillment of work. It's the time when we get to look back on the work that we have done and give thanks to God who made it possible. But even if you have not bought into the distortion about work and the distortion about rest, there is a third distortion that might get you. It's a distorted view of time. See, the sluggard believes the lie that there will always be time later to do the things that ought to be done now. This is the lie that says, yeah, work is important. Rest is important. I am going to seek out God's pattern of work and rest starting next week. Because this week's really busy. Well, have we been promised tomorrow? Do you know for certain that a year from now, you will be in the same circumstances that you are right now so that you can do the work that God calls you to right now? See, procrastination is a form of presumption. It presumes that God has given us something that he has not promised us. We are not promised tomorrow. That's why it's so important for us not to squander what he's given us today. I want to say a word to the young people in the congregation. If you're in high school, college, recently out of college, especially if you've not yet been called to marriage and children, 
you may not have the same kind of control over your time that you have now ever again in your life. I realize that's not true for everyone. Some of you have very real constraints on your time. I understand that. But it's possible that you will never be in the place to do now, to do later, what you can do now. If there's something that you feel like God has called you to do, you feel like there's, there's a, a skill you want to learn to serve God in the world, please don't wait. Don't wait until you're, oh, I'll do it when I'm 25. I'll do it when I'm 30. I'll do it later in my career. Because guess what? Your life when you're 30, when you're 40, when you're 50 is not going to look the same way that it does right now. It might get harder. I also want to say something to the folks who have been called to marriage and children. God has given you different resources, maybe not time. Don't squander that either. There is a kind of sloth that looks back longingly at the life we used to have, at the freedom we used to have, and tries to, to, to run away from our current responsibilities to get back to this pure time of freedom. Don't do it. Your family needs you. God has called you to something right now. Now is the place where you will meet God. Now is the place for obedience. Your family needs you. Your church needs you. We need strong families. Don't abdicate that responsibility. Now, you may be thinking, Kevin, I, I know what you're saying. Okay, I'm a, slaw, a sluggard. I struggle with sloth. Do you think I like that? Do you think I want to be that way? I hear you. It's true. But I don't know what to do. If I could pull myself up by my own bootstraps, I would have. And then I wouldn't be struggling with sloth. That's exactly the problem. I don't have the willpower to change what is happening to me. If this is you, there is salvation for the sluggard. There is hope for you. Yes, even for you. There is hope that God can reorder the view of his design for us that has been twisted by sin, by the world. This is part of what wisdom means in Proverbs. It's ordering our life according to God's will, and it's possible for that to happen for you. We've talked about Proverbs, in Proverbs, about wisdom calling to us from the street, saying, come, come. This is a personification of wisdom that points forward to Jesus, who also says, come. He says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you see it? Jesus calls us into his rest and into his work, his yoke. A yoke is something that allows two oxen to work together. It connects them so that they can plow together in the field. And if we're working with Jesus, if we take his yoke upon us, that work is not toil because he is giving us the strength that we need. I may only have a little bit of strength, but Jesus is strong enough for both of us. 
Jesus promises true work that is meaningful because we're working with Jesus. And he promises true rest that is restful because it's in response to that period of work and we're resting in the Lord. What might it look like to trade our pattern of frenetic activity and busyness that then slips into soul-numbing passivity that drains us? What might it look like for us to trade that pattern for a pattern of working and resting with Jesus? This is hard for me to talk about because God is still working that pattern in my life. I am still learning what it means to work with Jesus and to have a Sabbath rest with Jesus. I know this. It doesn't mean you have to change jobs necessarily. You don't have to become a carpenter to work with Jesus. You don't have to become a pastor or a missionary. See, God takes pleasure in our work because he designed us for work. When we go about our daily lives creating, building, developing, caring, restoring, whatever you do in your life, even not your day job, just what you do in response to the people around you, when you use your body the way God intended it, it gives him joy. Philippians 2.13 says that it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You're going about God's work, and it's meaningful because it brings God joy. Our work has eternal value because God rejoices in it. He loves to see his world functioning the way it's supposed to function with everyone knowing their role in the world. But if God just wanted a bunch of people doing stuff, he could have made a bunch of robots that were programmed to do what they're supposed to do. But he didn't make us human doings, did he? He made us human beings. He made us the kind of people who can be who we're designed to be. And this is where rest comes in. Rest is the time when we can look back and reflect on our life of doing and we can enjoy the fruit of our labor and let it bubble up as thanksgiving to God. When we rest, when we take time to step back from our work, we say, God, I know that my welfare is not dependent on how strong I am. I am, I am dependent entirely on you. That's what happens when we rest and we enjoy one another and we enjoy the work that God has given us and we give him thanks in our rest. It is a mindful rest a Sabbath rest. God has made us the kind of creatures who can participate in meaningful rest and celebrate it because of him. Brothers and sisters, you may not have time next week to do the soul work that God is calling you to today. Today is the time to respond to God in obedience. Today is the time to get on your knees and ask God for help because I'm going to be honest, I don't have it in me. And there's a prayer that you can pray that God will always honor. God, what do you want me to do today? And give me the strength to do it. God has not asked you to do something that he will not give you the grace to do. God's commands always come with a promise because he has the resources that we need. And if you feel like you're entangled by sloth, know that Jesus is here today. He is here with his yoke and with his rest. 
If you need to do some prayer work, there will be people on the side during communion who you can pray with. They can help you if you're too weak to pray this prayer for yourself, to ask Jesus for his work and his peace. Maybe during confession today, you need to confess the things that you have left undone. I want you to know that God hears that prayer. He is ready to forgive you, and he welcomes you into his rest and into his work. Let us seek his work and rest together. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.